How are you out there this morning? You, you, you look good. Without my glasses on, you still look good. I have distance problems. I need glasses for distance. So if you're making faces at me in the back row, I don't know. Amen. I'll take it. Galatians 5, uh, we are been speaking about the fruits of the Spirit for several weeks. This is part seven of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to read you that uh, text in Galatians in just a minute. Um, I'm going to read uh, verses 16 through 25, and then we're going to hop in and cover the next fruit of the Spirit here. We're going to talk about faithfulness this morning. Amen. Anyone faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Anyone who want to be more faithful in every area of their life? Praise God. Father, we thank you this morning for this study and for your word that challenges us, Lord, and we pray that you would draw us into a, a deeper expression of the fruit of the Spirit, that you, by the Holy Spirit, would work faithfulness into your people. And Father, that we'd understand our weaknesses and our frailties and our shortcomings, and we would learn to allow you to even bypass those with the supernatural working of your Spirit within us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires or the deeds of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22 but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Mm. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Amen? So we've looked at a bunch of these uh, fruits of the Spirit, and they contradict and clash with the list of the desires of the flesh. The flesh is easy. No one ever had to teach us how to do the works of the flesh. You know, the hostility, the strife, the jealousy, the anger, all of that comes natural to us, amen? But the fruit of the Spirit is not natural for us because why? It is a work of the Holy Spirit. So when we see these fruits like love, joy, peace, and patience, know that if we're going to have those operating in our life with consistency in a way that pleases the Lord, it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit that works it into us. Do you ever meet people who say, well, I'm a very loving person, but, but then they get into a situation where they get ugly. Amen? Amen. Because we don't possess these qualities as if they were our attributes. These are works of the Holy Spirit. We looked at love and we did two sessions on love because love is the foundation of all the fruits of the Spirit. You got to have love. In fact, turn to somebody and say, we're supposed to be lovers. We're supposed to be lovers, not fighters, married peoples. 
Well, that, we're, we're quickly spinning out of control. You're supposed to be married couples. You're supposed to be a lover. We're to be lovers, to love God, to love each other, to love the lost. And so love is that foundation. We can never get away from it. And you can't have joy without love. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. You can't have the peace of God that passes all understanding without love. And you certainly can't have patience without love. You know, when you find yourself getting impatient, just remind yourself, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to love this very annoying person God made. That's pushing all my buttons right now. I choose to love them. And so love is the foundation that all the fruits of the Spirit build off of love. Last time we were together, we looked at kindness, goodness, and gentleness. They are three fruits of the Spirit that work together in concert, and they dictate how we interact with our fellow man. We need to be kind and good and gentle to one another, amen? This week, we're going to look at faithfulness. Now, faithfulness seems like something that's pretty rare to find these days. Can we agree on that? Most of the time, we find that people, when push comes to shove, when they're backed into a corner, they're not faithful, but they become self-centered and selfish, and it's all about them. Most people will say, well, I'm loving, and I'm gentle, and I'm faithful, but back them into a corner, and you know what? We all seem to turn into pirates. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get. It's all about making me happy. Amen. And faithfulness is a rare thing these days. It's important for us to understand that faithfulness isn't a character trait of man or a personality type. Like, oh, he just has that personality where he's very loyal, he's very faithful. No, faithfulness is not a character type. It's not a personality trait. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. When you see a person who's faithful, God worked that into them. And we're going to talk about the very fact that faithfulness is who God is. Unfaithfulness is par for the course in human relationships. Can we agree on that? Unfaithfulness. We all devolve to that at certain moments. It's par for the course. In fact, looking at statistics in the Western culture here, 50% of marriages, first marriages, fail. Now, in the church, that needs not be the statistic, amen? But in the world, people get married by, you know, by looks, by, uh, you know, finances. I don't know what they're doing out there choosing how they're choosing, but, you know, maybe by Facebook profiles, you don't want to do that. But 50% of marriages, first marriages fail. Now, listen to this. 67% of second marriages fail. And 73% of third marriages fail. And three strikes, you're out. Yeah, oh, I just got to exchange this one for this one, and it's going to be better. No, I got to exchange this one for this one, and it's going to be better. Nope, you're taking your same old rotten patterns and selfishness and bad habits into the next relationship, and it gets worse and worse. I'm a one-and-done guy. I married one woman, and I'm staying with her whether she tries to chase me out of the house or not. So faithfulness in marriage is abysmal at this point. We look at 30 to 60% of marriages will experience uh, some type of infidelity at least once during the marriage, and 69% of those marriages will end in divorce when the infidelity is uncovered. Talking about faithfulness today. Some statistics uh, in the West here seem to indicate that divorce is going down, and there are people who try to spin the statistics like, oh, th- we're getting divorced less, less and less now, and you know the reason that is is because people are getting married less and less now. 
people are not entering the biblical union of marriage. They're just living together and they don't get married. So when they get divorced, there's no statistic of it. The younger generations are just, you know, they're not getting married. They're hopping from bed to bed, from relationship to relationship, making children along the way and leaving a trail of sin and brokenness and fatherless and misery. I'm talking about faithfulness today. While people are always unfaithful in some way at some time to each other, unfaithfulness to God is a real problem too. And we've all been guilty of being unfaithful to God at times. None of us can sit here and say today, I unequivocally, 100% all the time, I have always been faithful to God. I've always said the right thing, done the right thing, represented him the right way. There's no one behind the pulpit today that can say that. At times, all of us have been unfaithful. At times, like Peter, all of us have denied him by our attitudes and our actions. Peter told Jesus, I'll never deny you. Though everyone else run away, I'll be faithful. I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, buddy, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way, full of himself. And And Peter had to stand there ashamed that he denied Jesus who he loved three times. Left in his own failure and unfaithfulness, he was devastated. Throughout history, the church has proven to be unfaithful to God at times. When a church doesn't preach the truth of God's word anymore, it's unfaithful. When a church doesn't bring the gospel to the lost and make converts, it's unfaithful. When a church preaches a social doctrine or says that sins that the Bible say are are sins are no longer sins, they are being unfaithful to God. And the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, Jesus speaks to the churches, five out of the seven he corrects and he judges them as being unfaithful. Wow. Unfaithfulness is a problem that afflicts humanity, yet the Holy Spirit wants to work faithfulness into God's people. There's a huge shortage of faithfulness today in the business world, in the political arena, in marriages, and even in the church Let's look at three expressions of faithfulness today so we can understand how each of them relate to the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit is trying to work in us. Number one, let's talk about the faithfulness of God. We've got to start with God when we're talking about faithfulness, amen? You should see yourselves out there. You look exhausted already. It's going to get better before, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better. So let's talk about the faithfulness of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul could make a statement like that because he knew the faithfulness of God and he just says it simplistically and bluntly. God is faithful. All throughout the Old Testament, the, the attributes of God are describing him as a faithful God, as a just God. Faithfulness is who God is. Again, these fruits of the Spirit that we're looking at, they're actually the divine attributes of God. When you look at love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and all these things, they paint a picture of who God is. Why? Because they're divine attributes. A divine attribute is something that's always true about God. God is faithful all the time, every time, 100% of the time. 
That's who he is. Faithfulness is who God is. It's his nature. It's something always true about him. He's working his faithfulness into his people by his spirit. Understand how the fruits of the spirit work. This is not, well, I'm going to try this one. I'm going to try and do this one. I'm going to, today I'm going to be gentle. No, you and I can't do it by our own grit or determination. We don't have it within us to do these things. And let alone the whole list. Maybe if we tried really hard for, on one of them for half a day, we might get close. But they are a work of the Holy Spirit, and they are attributes of God. God is faithful. He's working faithfulness in us. Now, God's faithfulness is displayed in the firmness of his consistency in his dealings with man, especially with his people. God is firm and consistent, and he displays his goodness and his truth and his commandments and all these things. He displays them the way that's consistent. How many know if you're faithful one day and unfaithful the next day, you're not faithful? (laughs) If you're kind one day and the next day you're miserable, if you're loving one minute and the next minute you're angry and you're flying off into, you're not that attribute. So it's in the consistency of how God displays his faithfulness that allows him to be what faithfulness is. It's who he is. Now, God's people have always known that their God is faithful. You don't see it anywhere in Scripture too much where people are walking around, wow, we serve an unjust, unfaithful God. No, the people of God know that their God is faithful, amen? In fact, by a clap of hands today, who would say that God has been faithful to them, amen, over the course of their life, amen? If, I, if you didn't clap, I hope for the first time in history God drops the ball on you. No, I'm just kidding. God has been faithful to us whether we want to confess it or not. Whether, well, you know, I've been through some hard things. Yeah, but he's been right there with you in the fire. He's been right there with you in the hard thing. Listen, and he never left you. He never forsake you. He never quit on you. And some of those hard things that you've been through are your own fault because you made decisions that were contrary to the word of God. And you figured, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to do what I want. And then now, now we're mad at God. Where did you let me? And he's like. Sometimes God gets blamed for stuff, and I'm like, I know he's God, but I actually feel sorry for him. You know, people blame everything on God, even the devil. The devil made me do it, and the devil's going, I didn't do it. You do it. But God is faithful all the time, and God's people know that he's faithful. Moses knew God was faithful. Listen to Deuteronomy 32.4. Moses says, he is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Woo! Way to go, Mo. That's exactly who God is, amen? I love that. He is the rock. Our God rocks, amen? He's perfect in all his ways. He's faithful. He does no wrong. Upright and just. David knew of the faithfulness of God. Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. David knew the faithfulness of God as he was in the secret place, as he ran from Saul, as he went from the the back 40 with the sheep all the way to the palace to rule over Israel. He saw the hand of God being faithful in his life. 
The prophet Jeremiah knew that God was faithful. In Lamentations 3, 21, he says this, this I recall to my mind. Listen to what Jeremiah says. Therefore, I have hope. Though the, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Wow. That beautiful hymn that we sing, great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Your compassions, they fail not. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Woo. God's people know that their God is faithful. Our God never drops the ball. He never forgets his promises. He never goes back on his word. He never breaks covenant with his people. God's faithfulness is rooted in another of his divine attributes, and that is his immutability. Let's get a little theological today. God is immutable. You say, what does that mean? Sounds like he's, you know, one of the X-Men. No, his immutability has to do with the fact that he's unchanging. To say that God is immutable means he never changes. Everything in life that we know, everything about our own nature and character, everything about man we know changes. Yet we serve a God who's immutable. He's unchanging. He won't go back on his word. He won't break his covenant. He won't change his mind. He won't not do what he said he would do. Come on, that's the God we serve. And because he's immutable, he can be faithful. And we need to understand that's who God is. He doesn't change his opinion. Oh, today I'm for you, Rick. Oh, today I'm against you. I've had it with you. No. We should be so thankful that God is immutable, that he's unchanging, that he's faithful. Amen. He doesn't change with the, you know, with the wind. He's not whimsical like man. Have you ever had people that were for you one day and the next day they were your worst enemies trying to tear you to pieces? The point of all this talk about God's faithfulness and God's immutability and the fact that he's unchanging is to get us to understand we can rely on him 110%. It's never going to let you down. If you trust him with all your heart, you'll be completely safe. His faithfulness, his mercy, his compassion, it doesn't fail. It's new every morning. He will never let you down because he's faithful. Now, as we move on here and look at some other, uh, you know, manifestations of faithfulness, while we have to look at God first, and we, we, we talk about the faithfulness of God, and it's actually encouraging to see that's what it actually is, but many of us have been left to deal with the faithfulness of man. And human faithfulness is a lot different than God's faithfulness, amen? So let's look at man's faithfulness, the faithfulness of men. Many people fancy themselves to be faithful or say they're trustworthy, but when we look at the expression of faithfulness uh, in man, we are going to understand right away it is different than God's faithfulness because it's flawed by human nature. Many times in life, people have been unfaithful to us. I'm going to say this again. Many times in life, people have been unfaithful to us. Let me make it personal. People have been unfaithful to you. And the reason I can say that without fear of contradiction is because all of us have been uh, in situations where people have been unfaithful to us. And, you know, I'm trying to lather you up a little bit here. You're fighting me. But when you think about the fact that people have taken advantage of you and been unfaithful to you, uh, you know, let's see a little bit of flesh response there. We don't like that, do we? But before we get too indignant, we've been unfaithful to others. So we can't, you know, it's like, man, do you see what they did to me? And God's like, did you see what you did to them? 
So it goes both ways. It's a two-way street. Why? Because we're all the victim of human nature. The reason I can make a blanket statement like that is because I, I know it's true. I know that, you know, while people have been unfaithful to me, there's times I've dropped the ball on others. When it comes to trusting others to be faithful to us, listen very closely. When it comes to trusting people, other people to be faithful to us, we are wise to lower our expectations a little bit. Anybody like wisdom? Amen. God wants us to be wise. And so wisdom dictates what? That when it comes to dealing with people, we lower our expectations of them being perfectly faithful to us at all times. Why? Because if we don't, we're going to be disappointed a whole lot of the time. There are many people that I've encountered, uh, you know, that expect too much from other people. And you know what? When, when people have such high expectations on others, not only is it unwise, it's actually arrogant. I've sat with people in my office and, you know, this one person was telling me, well, you know, their expectations of me as their pastor. And they say, oh, I have all these high, I hold people to a high standard. I have high expectations and don't you ever let me down. And I'm sitting there looking at them thinking, who do you think you are? Well, I just have high standards. <laughs> well, who are you? Are you perfect? Do you never drop the ball? Did you never let anybody down? You're on your third marriage while you're sitting in my office, but you must have been perfect on all three of those strikeouts. <laughs> Can I just be real today? Oh, I have high standards, and I'm just thinking, well, this person didn't last. I don't know where they are. I pray for them. But, you know, you, you can't do that. that. That's not only foolishness, that's pride. That you would hold others to a higher standard than you're able to keep yourself. That's what they said to the Pharisees. You, you hold people to a standard you can't keep yourself. Wow. So we've got to lower our expectations of others just a little because they're human. So expecting too much of others sets us up for disappointment. We're going to explore that in just a minute, but I want to get the flip side of the coin here. Expecting too much of ourselves is rooted in pride too. Well, I blew it. I failed. I let everybody down. That's pride. You're human. You're flawed. You're not perfect. Neither am I. You know, and we can hold ourselves to such a high standard that in every area where we see that we've dropped the ball or we've been, you know, a disappointment or we've been unfaithful in some little way, we can blow that up and actually the enemy jumps in and he just tears us to pieces. I want you to listen to a story about John Quincy Adams, who was the president of the United States. He held more important offices, John Quincy Adams did, than anyone throughout U.S. history. Listen to this. He served with distinction as the president of the United States, a senator, a congressman, an ambassador. He participated in various capacities in the American Revolutionary War, in the War of 1812, and in the events leading up to the Civil War. Yet at age 70, he penned this in his journal. He said, my whole life has been a succession of disappointments. I can scarcely recollect a single instance of success in anything I have ever done. What is that? That's holding yourself up to a standard that's impossible for human nature to keep. And yet this guy did more than anyone had ever done. I mean, think about that list. If you accomplish one of those things, you'd be like, yeah. You know? 
And he's like, I, I haven't accomplished anything. I, I've been disappointed every time. I'm a complete failure. Wow. People will let us down. We'll let ourselves down. And we have to lower the standard a little bit because we're human and we're flawed and God has made allowance for that. I know you know this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. People will be unfaithful to you and betray you. And oftentimes when they do, they'll be those closest to you. And I wanna tell you something, it's gonna hurt like nothing else. Husbands and wives that betray each other with infidelity, the sting of that can crush the human soul. A child who's betrayed by their own mother and father who has to live with that their entire life will be damaged. Brothers and sisters betrayed by their own siblings. Sheep betrayed by shepherds. Citizens betrayed by their own government. The sting of betrayal is a powerful, destructive thing on the human spirit. And I say this, since we've all been betrayed and we've all been the victim of unfaithfulness, we should forgive betrayal in accordance with the Lord's prayer. Matthew 6, 11, 13, it says this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Did you hear that? Forgive us as we forgive. There's a reason the Lord put that in there. Because if we won't forgive people who have trespassed against us, then we put a lid on our own lives to receive the forgiveness of God. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So when people do let us down, when they do betray us, when they're disloyal to us, we have no recourse but to forgive them. Well, they're not sorry. Forgive them anyway. Well, they don't deserve it. Forgive them anyway. Well, they're going to do it again. The hardest person to forgive for stepping on your toes is the person still standing on your feet. I'm waiting for some of you stone faces to smile. Yeah, they're going to do it again. Yeah, they're not sorry. Yeah, they meant it. But if you don't forgive them, the poison of unforgiveness will produce a root of bitterness in you that will destroy the joy of the Lord in your own life. Amen. So we have to forgive when men fail us and they're unfaithful to us. When suffering the pain of betrayals, we should remember Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge, the word of God says. This is Paul speaking to the Romans. Never take your own revenge. Beloved, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. We should remember that when people hurt us, when people wound us, it's not for us to make it right, to get our pound of flesh, to set it straight, to hurt them back. I, look, I know, I know, you want to get even. Your flesh screams through it. And in fact, we'll say things like, it's not fair, it's unjust, they, they deserve it. But we prove ourselves sons and daughters of God when we say, you know what? I'm going to let the Lord, I'm not going to dirty myself and get in the mud with the pigs. I'm going to let the Lord square this up and take care of it. I used to have a friend in Bible school. He would move the punctuation around on this verse. He'd say, vengeance is mine. The Lord said it. Some of you are not that sharp out there, man. It's all about where you put the punctuation. And like we laugh about that, but we feel like that a lot of times. Like it's my right to get right, get, to get revenge, to, to straighten it out, to give them a piece of my mind. 
I don't have many pieces left. I'm keeping everything I got at this point. But remember, God will repay. And also remember this, when we're in the state of betrayal, when, when we've suffered the unfaithfulness of men, and we think, God, nah, you can't even understand how I feel. Jesus had a Judas. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus had a Judas who walked with him, talked with him, ate with him, slept with him, and who betrayed him. And he knew he was a deceiver and his heart was right from the beginning, yet he entrusted him to carry the money purse. Jesus opened himself up to be betrayed. And then when Judas betrayed him, he knew the sting of betrayal as deep as any of us will ever know it. So man's faithfulness is limited. It's not like God's faithfulness. It's fallible. So we should lower the standard on others and ourselves and make room for grace in our lives. Make room for grace for others to remember vengeance is the Lord's. And if anything needs to be straightened out, God will straighten it out. And that we need to forgive so we can be forgiven. We move on to number three. Look at the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of men, the expression of that type of faithfulness. And lastly, the faithfulness of the believer. As believers, we have more of a duty and more area to cover in the area of faithfulness than those who do not have a relationship with God. Why? Because, you know, those who don't have a relationship with God have no duty to be faithful to God. But those of us who are forgiven of our sins and born again and on our way to heaven and we're in Christ, God has done all that for us. So we have a duty to be faithful to God. It's not that, oh, God, thanks for saving me. Now I'm just going to do my own thing my own way, and I'll see you in heaven. No, we have to be faithful to God. Being faithful to God is something that will follow us right into eternity. Why? Because there's rewards attached to every act of faithfulness for the believer. This generation of Christians, we desperately need the fruit of the Spirit manifest in us. We have too many of the works of the flesh manifested in, in the church. But we need the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness. And we need the faithfulness of God to be displayed in us. This generation needs faithfulness particularly. Why? Because so many believers are unfaithful to God. And there are so many churches now that are unfaithful to God. Churches that no longer preach the truth of God's word. Churches that justify sin and say it's a lifestyle. Churches that are, are more social than they are spiritual. And there's no move of the Holy Spirit. There's no demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. No one gets convicted. No one gets saved. No one comes to the altar with tears in their eyes. And God sees that as unfaithful. There are seven ways that we should be faithful to God. And I want to cover them quickly with you. Number one, the first way we should be faithful to God is this, by maintaining him as our first love. Who do you love today? Is it Jesus? Is he number one? Or are there so many other things in between you and Jesus? The Bible says that we are to keep him as our first love. He has to sit squarely on the throne of our hearts. We can't love anyone or anything more than we love him. Or the Bible says we're unworthy of him. So our first duty to be faithful to God is to keep our love relationship with God alive. That means being in his presence, being in prayer, being in the word, amen, being in the house of God when the spirit's moving so that we can be connected to him, amen. Jesus has got to be number one in my heart. 
Otherwise, I don't have a chance at all of being faithful to God. Number two, we've got to be faithful to answer his specific call upon our lives. Each one of us are called by God today. You have a call of God on your life. You're part of the family of God, part of the body of Christ. God has called you to do a specific thing within the body. You have a mission. You have a destiny. You have a trajectory and a path to walk on, and it's from God. He designed you that way from your mother's womb. You're not an accident. You're not an afterthought. You're not just lost in the sauce. You are uniquely called by God to do specific things with your life. I want to tell you something. I couldn't be faithful to God if I was doing anything else other than what I'm doing here this morning with you. If I didn't answer the call to ministry, to preach the word, to do, to faithfully bring the word to God's people, and I decided I want to do something else, that, that would leave me unfaithful to God. When I was a young man, I didn't want to go into the ministry. I wanted to go into the military. I wanted to go into the Marine Corps. And instead of winding up at boot camp, I wound up at Bible school. And there was Pastor Mike. You could, you can, you could, he could tell some stories. I was a little wild back then. I was a little wild. And, uh, you know, the Lord put a call on my life, and I had no choice but to answer it. If I did my thing instead of his thing, I would have lived a life of unfaithfulness to God. You have a call on your life. You have a purpose in your life. Yeah, you might have an agenda, or you want to do something else, or I think I want to do this, I want to do that, but first and foremost, we have to answer the call of God on our life to be faithful. Number two, we have to be faithful. Uh, number three, I'm sorry. We have to be faithful to use the gifts God has given us for his glory. Each one of us are gifted today. If we could list all the gifts that are in this sanctuary, as I'm looking out there, I know some of you, I know some of your gifts, but all of us have gifts from God. Gifts of speaking, teaching, organization, gifts of building and, uh, you know, administration. There are gifts, gifts of music. Aren't you thankful for the gifts in the body of Christ? Amen. Amen. Come on, second service. Don't die on me. But all of us have gifts. And you know what? Our, our duty to be faithful to God is to, number one, use the gifts he's given us for his glory. Not to take them out into the world and prostitute them and make money with them. And, you know, listen, as a musician, I know I can go into the world and prostitute my gift and use it to make money and to play this and play that. I grew up playing in bands. I play all kinds of music I probably shouldn't have. But listen to me. My gift belongs to the Lord. Well, aren't you tired of just playing in church? Sometimes. but my gift belongs to the Lord. Your gift belongs to the Lord. It belongs in the house of God. It's God's first. It's not yours to just use any way you want. <laughs> that people look scared. I'm your friend. I love you. But we've got to be faithful with our gifts. If all the gifts you, you're using in the world just to, you know, enrich yourself or whatever, bring them into the house of God. God has a use for your gift. Number four, we have to be faithful to do our part to fulfill the Great Commission. God has called each of us to share the gospel with others and to make disciples of all men. You say, no, 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 no. We hired you for that. That's your job. We, we're busy living life. You do that. No, all of us have to do it. You say, why? Because you can reach people that I can never reach. 
There's people who will listen to you that will never listen to me. There's people that you can affect that will never come through those church doors. And each of us are called to do our part in fulfilling the great commission to preach the gospel to every living creature and to make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our job as the people of God, and we've all got a part to play. Number five, we need to be faithful to attend and serve the local church where God has planted us. And you're thinking, thank God I'm here this morning. I got one out of seven going. But, you know, church attendance is not, you know, optional. Church service is not optional. God's planted us in a local body to be part of the family of God. And let me just tell you something. When you're not here, something's missing. Oh, nobody misses me. I don't bring anything to the table. You know, they don't even notice if I'm gone. We notice. And something's missing when you're not here. Because if God planted you here and you're not here, you're missing. So God expects us to show our faithfulness to him by attending the church where he's planted us and being part of that body. Number six, we have to be faithful to worship, to pray, and to support kingdom things. Thank God for the way we worship in this house, for the way we serve in this house, for the way we pray. Thank God for the financial support we give to missions to, to advance the gospel. Thank God how we've supported the Gambia. And there's a church there right now called the Full Gospel Center that's preaching the gospel and winning the lost in a Muslim-majority country. It's incredible. You say, how does that happen? Through the faithfulness of God's people to give and serve and pray and to do kingdom things. Number seven, I close with this. We have to be faithful to grow into the full stature of a mature believer. It's not just we get saved so we avoid hell and we stay spiritual babies until we die. God expects us to grow up. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. This is gonna be fun. Grow up. Man, parents, if you had a baby, if you had a baby 30 years ago and they're still babies, what's the greatest hope of a parent? That they will grow up. And the fathers are going, and get out. Right, Tony, get out. Give them the left foot of fellowship. Get out. <laughs> but God expects us to grow up. You ever meet Christians? They got saved 100 years ago, and they're still babies. They're still gossiping. They're still complaining. They're still talking about people. I don't like the pastor. His tie didn't match. I don't like that worship song. We got to grow up. Spiritually, some of us are 35 living in our parents' basement. We got to grow up. God expects us to grow up to become mature believers. Seven things. We've got to grow up. We've got to worship, pray, and support the kingdom of God. We've got to attend the church where God's planted us. We've got to do our part in fulfilling the great commission. We've got to use our gifts. We've got to answer the call of God upon our lives, and we've got to keep Jesus as number one on the throne of our heart. Amen? Now, while we're applauding that list, full disclosure, it's impossible for us to keep that ourselves. And I want to end by reminding you the fruit of the Spirit specifically faithfulness, is a work of the Holy Spirit. If you get that list and you try, I'm going to do all this today, I'm going to really try hard, good.
good luck. Because these are not works of the flesh, they're works of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will work these things in us if we submit to his leading, amen? God will give us the power and the wisdom to show forth these divine attributes. We're never going to do them perfectly. We can't hold ourselves to that standard. Not even God holds us to that standard. That's what grace is about. Do your best all the time with a pure heart. When you blow it, confess it and ask forgiveness. It's by grace. It's by the Holy Spirit. But the fruits of the Spirit need to come through the people of God because they point to God and they draw people to the church. A church that, that's real can save people out of their lost reality. A church that's fake and walking in the flesh will turn more people away than it will attract. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you this morning for my brothers and sisters here that come to hear the word of God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working in each of our hearts, that, Father, you're trying to make us faithful sons and daughters who love you and execute your will and, and carry out the commandments of God and fulfill the Great Commission. Father, we want to do all these things. We confess to you today that our flesh is weak. But, Holy Spirit, we, we give you permission to work in us. We invite you. We cooperate with you. We say, help us to be lovers, to be gentle, to be people who are patient, kind, and gentle. Teach us to be faithful to you and to our fellow man, to our husbands and wives. In all our earthly relationships, work faithfulness in us because the uncommonness of that displayed in a human being will point to our God in heaven and will draw people to your amazing grace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Give him praise this morning.